I'm Bryce Butler from Access Ventures, and this is More Than Profit, a show where I talk with founders, investors, entrepreneurs, and leaders of all kinds about living and working with purpose, how they do it, and why. This season focused on kind of conscious construction of kind of dynamic portfolios, really trying to dive into uh, fund managers, strategies that are unapologetically about financial returns, and also equally unapologetic about pursuing impact and really trying to help our audience uh, think through what that looks like, how they how they conceive of these strategies, what they're pursuing, the complexities of that, the challenges of that. And so it's been fun over the last season to kind of talk through uh, different asset strategies from venture focused on female founders or founders of color to affordable housing to even fixed income strategies, uh, international microfinance, blockchain. Uh, and so today, in our kind of final episode, we're I get to connect with some friends uh, that are really uh, announcing kind of a new strategy, a new um, a new idea that's emerged kind of off of their collective histories, uh, both personally, uh, but also professionally. The, the the things that they've done professionally uh, in investments uh, for collectively the past three decades. Uh, is is really impressive the way they've been able to deploy money and help companies grow uh, and return capital to to investors. Um, but now, kind of taking those best practices and the experiences of impact and and seeking a new strategy that aligns both of those. So today, I've got Wright Steenrod and I've got Moses Ikishaka uh, in in literally in the flesh in the studio, which is kind of fun for me. Um, but I'm going to start first with with Moses because Moses and I have worked together for for a little while now. Um, which has been which has been really fun to be a kind of a part of his journey, um, but I want to kind of Moses, you know, talk to us about early days. Uh, you went to Princeton, um, you you know, which is which is impressive. Um, you've you've got experience in investments, both at a at a you know pretty substantial firm, Chrysalis Ventures in Louisville, Kentucky. Um, you've done in-house business development with one of the portfolio companies. You've worked with Access Ventures, helping build and structure our blockchain strategy for the last. Three, four years. Mm-hmm. Um, four years going. Yeah. yeah. Um, but what, where, what drives you? You know, uh, I mean, I think you, I know you personally. So yeah. you and I talk about this all the time. But what was it like growing up? You know, and what did that look like for you? And how did you find yourself kind of in investments to begin with? I'll, I'll go with the, the medium length version of the story, and maybe <laughs> inevitably meander into the longer, longer version. And. I think what's interesting though is just kind of your 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 family specifically. Yeah. You know the thread of that, and and you know even at Princeton where you started off in medicine, um, and now all of a sudden flip and like what were the causes of that flip for you, and and what drives you as you even think about this this life and this this career in, in investments. Yeah, yeah. Well, we recruited him to the dark side. The <laughs> that was part of it too, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah no. I mean, so. You know, I was born in Rwanda. Yeah. Um, uh, my parents were both from Rwanda. Grew up in part in Kenya. We left Rwanda during the conflict. And, um, you know, I always, sometimes I describe my life as a series of fortunate events. You know, you know, getting getting to Kenya, then getting to come to the, to the States as students, you know, uh, for my parents. My parents came here initially to kind of continue their education. And, you know, the... And then, you know, landed at, you know, a great high school here in Louisville and then on to Princeton. And there's 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 always, you know, kind of this feeling of, OK, what's the, you know, like, why? You know, why, you know, um, 
have I been so fortunate in, in, in how some of these things have come together. And, and I think at a young age, and I'll start with the, the medical part. I mean, so, the, you know, the story goes, growing up, my parents told me, hey, Moses, you can do anything you want to in the world as long as it's being a doctor or a lawyer. And it turns <laughs> out that's, that's a pretty common story among yeah. immigrants. Um, really, I thought maybe, first I thought it was an African thing, and then I learned, no. I mean, some, 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 um, you know, some domestic uh, uh, immigrants who have gotten to know, say they got three options. They got the engineer option. I, I didn't get that one. I just got doctor or lawyer. <laughs> and, you know, so I liked the sciences. You know, I thought, um, you know, again, back to that, that first thread around just feeling fortunate. You know, I always sort of got excited about, okay, maybe I can be a doctor and move back to, to Rwanda and kind of could be my way of, of, of giving back or, um, yeah, you know, just kind of like, Kind of putting my energy and, and kind of all these resources that I've that I've gotten um, to work that way, and it was you know the summer after my sophomore year um, of college that that I really started to re- veer from that path. So I mean you know right you're right you guys ultimately pulled me into the dark side, but I'd already started kind of <laughs> my curiosity started really around then and. Well, wasn't it like a couple, like an individual that was just encouraging you, like, "Hey, this is a path you're going down," or at least thinking about what about building out a, a, a fuller yeah. view and yeah. really trying to understand? Well, actually, so that that actually goes even deeper. So that that was a doctor. So and uh, okay. that was during my sort of high school, you know, toward the end of my high school career, had gotten advice that you should shadow some doctors, see what it's like to kind of to be on the surgery floor. I thought maybe I wanted to be a surgeon, and I just remember um, you know, this doctor who I got to know. Who I mean, that's a whole that's an interesting story of its own, right? So he he came up in in Bosnia and hmm. learned how to be a doctor basically by by practice. Someone you know, so an, an, another doctor kind of pulled him you know into the you know the operating room and said, "Hey, can you like clean this wound or hold this down part?" And anyway, so there was and you know I'm sure there was also medical training, but that's sure. kind of how he told that story. But he told me, hey, you know, you're going to be inundated in the sciences for your whole academic career and then med school and beyond. You ought to, you know, branch out and study something different. You know, you, you've gotten a tremendous opportunity to go into great school, lots of, lots of great departments. So I took that to heart. I got on campus and really quickly in my first year fell in love with economic theory and, and started a, a, a course, you know, curriculum and, and ultimately a major that was focused in on comparative politics, economics, political economy, and then I was still kind of pursuing my, my pre-med studies until, you know, this, this, so this, this summer I was in Rwanda doing, um, you know, so I got Princeton to pay for, for an opportunity to go back and visit <laughs> the grandparents. There you go. But I was doing, you know, I was doing research for a professor in around the social determinants of health and, mm. you know, HIV specifically. And so I was traveling around the country, getting to meet different people and, and kind of, you know, experience their stories. And. Uh, I just remember that entire summer, I moonlit my research thinking about and talking to any and everyone I could find on kind of the themes of economic development and really entrepreneurship in, mm. in the country. And there, you know, I learned and my eyes were open to a ton of opportunity and a ton of entrepreneurs, but, you know, kept kind of uh, kind of started to reflect on the fact that, you know, most folks were who were really entrepreneurial, even the folks who had great sort of education backgrounds were maybe starting a motorcycle taxi business because yeah. that's what you can do with a microfinance loan. There was a real capital gap 
at the once you start to get into real sort of enterprises at SME and beyond. And so, you know, I started thinking then about wouldn't it be interesting to kind of combine my academic passion and career around this theme of sort of access to capital? Yeah, that's um, interesting. Yeah. Well, and so what's fascinating too is fast forward. So from Louisville, Kentucky, yeah. as you settle in the United States, um, that's kind of where your your families kind of established themselves. Um, and so you came back. So you graduate from Princeton, you come back, you've got this new pathway, but you come back to Louisville, Kentucky, <laughs> where we don't have a lot of opportunities in the investment well, space. Yeah. I wish I could say I, I just really missed Louisville and I wanted to commit to this community. And it, actually, the story was a, is a lot, lot less glamorous. So basically, you know, summer after my junior year, I get a wonderful opportunity to be a summer analyst at this large kind of mid-market giant private equity shop. You know, I'm working from 10 a.m. to midnight and still loving, or sorry, from 9 a.m., 8 a.m. to midnight and loving what I'm doing because it's sort of, start. I can start to see, okay, this is how you sort of think as an investor. Kind of, it, it, it falls in line with those things that I'm starting to fall in love with. And so after that experience, I didn't realize how fortunate I was to get that experience. After, so into my, into my senior year, you know, I thought, okay, I want to be an investor, you know, so I'll abandon the pre-med track. I'll have the conversation with my parents. I, you know, I want to be an investor. I'm really passionate about this. I could have a great, you know, impact doing this. Um, but no one told me that those jobs generally aren't available for undergrads. And yep. so, you know, I, all my buddies are going to going to Goldman and kind of going through their investment banking and consulting interviews. And I'm like, look, I don't want to spend the next two years <laughs> pulling together pitch decks at midnight. I know what my calling is, you know, yeah. this is, you know, and uh, long story short, I graduate without a job, right? Because I can't, I can't land a job, this kind of dream job that I thought. I was moving toward. And so, you know, I come back, you know, so here I was, this kid who went off to the great Northeast of Princeton, graduate without a job. I come back and I'm on my parents' couch thinking I made a horrible mistake. I should have just put in my two years, <laughs> you know. But the, the interesting thing is you and I, you know, we've known each other since then and before, but, you know, meeting with you there and then you wanting to get into investments and really one of the only investment shops uh, of that size and opportunity yeah. was Chrysalis Ventures. Yeah. Uh, and you literally made it a point to show up and get an unpaid internship or maybe a paid internship or something like that, but just mm -hmm. just show up yeah. and then you just kept showing up even after the time was over <laughs> to where they're finally like, okay, we'll just hire you. Yeah. And I mean, the funny thing is it was, it was with principally the Ereba team, the now Ereba team who I worked with yep. for, you know, for that. So, I mean, yeah, you, that, that's basically the story, right? So I was sur couch surfing at home. Really, yep. I was in my bedroom. So, well, but, so I'm going to turn to right real yeah. quick then. Cause it's yeah. like, the interesting thing is twofold, right? You guys, you came together at Chrysalis, but there's probably something in the water at Princeton. Cause you both went to Princeton, but right. It, it goes deeper than that. Oh, I'm sure there is. So, um, Louisville, you know, it's, it's the big small town. Mm -hmm. So my wife was a teacher at Moses High School. Oh, that's hilarious. So I've always heard about Moses. Oh, so funny. I watched Moses play basketball in high school. Oh, wow. And that's when we knew to recruit him as an intern. Oh, that's hilarious. Because my wife's like, <laughs> I've heard that Moses would like to be an intern. I'm like, oh, great. So that's... send him our way. And so that's how that's so that was that. It yeah. was that that's how it all started. That's crazy. So we're going to shift into talking about the new strategy you're working on. But right. I want to take a little bit of time. Uh, because I think part of these strategies, and I think it's important that we do talk about the stories, because Moses' story is unique. Yep. Everybody's story is unique. Yours, your story is unique. Uh, so talk to us about where you're from. I mean, your background, Marines to investments. You know, what was that path like for you uh, as you kind of were growing up? Um, so, you know, I'm a, I'm a Louisville native. 
um, and was also fortunate enough to go to Princeton. Um, and I, I left, I, I graduated from Princeton and uh, went into the Marine Corps where I was an infantry officer for five years, did two tours in the early 90s. Um, where were you stationed? I was stationed out of Camp Pendleton and did uh, tours in the West Pacific and the Persian Gulf. Okay. And, uh, and, and, and I had a great, loved the Marine Corps, had a great experience. Probably two tours was enough for me, and from the Marines' perspective, it was probably good. So um, <laughs> uh, came back, but I'd, I'd been an econ major and was always interested in finance. Um, and I think I was always interested in finance because I always, I like to see how people act and, um, and what people say they do and what people actually do with their money are different things. And so economics was sort of a way of trying to understand that. Um, and, you know, so started in, 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 uh, in banking and worked in investment banking for a little bit and did not uh, understand that and wanted to be more of an operator. Um, and so what, you know, I, I was, uh, it was the internet boom and it was a time like, you know, it's not that easy to get back to Louisville. Um, and there are a lot more people that want to get back to Louisville than actually do, but the boom created that opportunity. So I came to back to work with a, a broadband internet company, which was, you know, a week away from going public in the March of 2000. And we can go through that whole, you know, internet bubble collapse story. Um, but it was a chrysalis investment. A chrysalis was in a small investor in the business. Um, but uh, I helped manage it, it down from a business development perspective. And then I went to work for Chrysalis after that. So I always say it worked out uh, well for me. And I, I came to Chrysalis with sort of the software IT. But I think what, I, what I'd always liked, I liked uh, I like figuring things out and I like growing businesses. And so when you ask me what I, I like growing businesses hmm. and I like working with CEOs to grow businesses, and the most satisfying thing about the journey is is the working with the CEOs and seeing them succeed, because it's rare that there are overnight six, there are ten year overnight success stories, particularly if you're working with founders. Yeah, and you know I've been fortunate. You know we just recently um, sold a business uh, within the last month in the healthcare space. Um, that was a lot. Of, you know it was bringing information. Uh, to a business to help it solve a problem differently. And for us, it was helping community oncologists make better decisions about how to treat cancer. Hmm. So it was one of those things. It's return, sure. but it's also its impact. Yeah. Uh, it was improving the healthcare system. But working with Clint Taylor, because Clint had had a bad private equity experience before, and that means that you had done sort of, you had business success, but did not have personal financial success. Hmm. Uh, and so it was nice to see him actually get both. Yeah. Um, and... Uh, and so that's that's always a, that's that's the funnest part of of the journey. So, so for our listeners, some some are going to be familiar with Chrysalis, and I think it's part of the story. Obviously, it's where you it's both, where you emerge from. Yeah, and so for those that aren't familiar, give us a little background because like thirty years plus of 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 investment experience between the team. There's one other member of of the new team that's forming, Charlie, um, and so help us understand Chrysalis. And and I think what's interesting about the new the new strategy is the. Chrysalis has been investing in a lot of these spaces that um, have impact, right? Healthcare, education, workforce for, for a long time. So you've got a, a track record and experience on that side of it. And now with this new strategy that we're going to get into, but Chrysalis itself over the last several decades, um, what, what is Chrysalis and, and what, what are some of the, the things that, uh, the experiences of that that are now even helping shape uh, what you're looking to do in the future? Yeah, sure. So, I, you know, I've worked at Chrysalis, still do, for 20 years. Um, and so I think, you know, Chrysalis it was an institutional uh, venture capital firm focused on 
in the Midwest focus on partnering with entrepreneurs to bring information to uh, specific industries and transforming those industries with the use of information technology. And, you know, David Jones Jr. is the founder of the firm and the chairman and one of my colleagues. And uh, he's been on the board of Humana for 30 years and instrumental in the many transformations that that, that big business has is, is undergone. And so while we have always invested in a lot of inter, inter industries and had success in different verticals, we're best known for healthcare. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, David and his family also have education is their biggest philanthropic effort. Yeah. And so, you know, that, that got us to look at education and training opportunities over the years. So we've actually, you know, been an investor. We've invested successfully in K-12, uh, college and corporate training. And there just aren't a lot of people that can say they do that, particularly yeah. K-12 is challenging. Um, but so that's, that's where, um, I think that's where we have, you know, there, there, there's a great network that's been built up over that period of time and a, a lot of great network with specific in industry experience and in information technology, digital infrastructure, healthcare, education, and training. And w as we emerge from that, it's, we see opportunities in those sectors, but we see opportunities to be more growth investors. So let's help CEOs who've sort of figured out the venture stage and want to grow their business. And we also see the clear tie now between growth and impact. And for us, growth and impact is not, it is not only the right thing to do, it is the best financial thing to do. Because growth and impact is going to outperform growth as so, a class. Yeah, so both you talk to me about that. Like, what do you mean when you say it's going to outperform? What does that what does that mean for you? And um, and how does that help shape the strategy strategy you're pursuing? Yeah, so I think if particularly in the sectors that we understand, um, if you're growing businesses, you're either growing impact or you're growing extraction. Hmm. And you, you want to be on the side of growing impact. And when I say you're growing extraction, that means that in extractive businesses, your customers leave worse off. And unfortunately, and it's just, it's just the way those businesses had to be built, but in a lot of healthcare and education businesses and institutions, they're one size fits all. And not everybody has a great experience and some people have negative experiences. And information technology gives you the flexibility to, you know, these are important services that people need to experience and they're important serious services that our society needs people to experience to have a thriving 21st century economy. And it's just simply no longer good enough for people to be worse off. And there are just too many stories, and then we can talk more about it later, but there are too many stories in education and healthcare where people, and those are particularly lower income people, are worse off. Hmm. And we simply don't need to do that anymore. And we've been uh, fortunate to be able to invest in businesses that have actually created positive impacts, you know, across the board. Yeah. 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 And I mean, you know, one of the things that I'll just pull out of, out of that is, you know, the, you know, I think in large part owing to kind of that, that family office DNA that um, was sort of intertwined within the, the Chrysalis firm, you know, even though it was kind of large institutional fund funds, um, you know, it was still very much kind of had an ethos that was grounded in sort of some of David's experiences and, and, and perspectives and, and, and really kind of got into the, you know, we, we often had 
you know, sort of an impact mindset that wasn't defined in mm-hmm. looking at those sectors specifically, right? And 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 some of our greatest successes have been companies like Straighter Line that, that Wright can talk to and companies that have had really so strong uh, impact outcomes. But that's almost been, you know, it was informed by that kind of perspective that we had at, at a firm, but it wasn't you know, it wasn't anything explicit. You know, like Stratoline didn't, yeah, yeah, they didn't position themselves as an impact company that, you know, they, they didn't, you know, track or measure impact. And, and what we're seeing where we are today as, as the world sort of starts to, to get comfortable with the idea of impact and, and um, you know, as, and, and as the needs sort of kind of get highlighted by also information technology as we start to see kind of some of the societal and second and third order effects of, of how um, kind of these, these industries tend to operate, um, there's just a tremendous opportunity to be purposeful about and call out that you're an impact company and, and, and um, you know, we we think that it it will be a com- and it is now a competitive advantage to yeah. be. Um, well, I think it's interesting because uh, there's been this interesting convergence, right? So you know, impact is transparent, measurable, and intentional. And so I think if you look at a straighter line or many of the portfolio companies, you could probably run down a list of them. Not all of them, but some of them, they're already actually measuring this stuff because their business model is around some sort of service through K through 12. And it matters whether whether or not they're impacting what demographic of student or what type of community. And so it's just, a, you know, in our current day, what didn't exist in common vernacular or with, with maybe intentional measurement is now kind of coming. Like, so a lot of these companies that Chrysalis would have targeted, I have to believe, would have been right in the crosshairs of, uh, of an impact company. And so now we've got this convergence of kind of better definition around impact and thinking through intentional structures and uh, and investors really wanting to care about this. Yeah, and I think that's, you know, at least for me, as, as we emerge from 2020, it is, it is the imperative of marrying growth and impact together. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, you know, I always think about it uh, from a CEO perspective. So for your company, marrying growth and impact together will sharpen your culture, it will sharpen your mission, it will help you in recruiting. And we're already seeing that in our portfolio and it's gonna help you on your exit. Yeah. Because I think, you know, we've we've sold a lot of businesses to strategic, you know, big companies. And when they wanna grow, they buy growth. When they wanna big companies want to innovate, they often buy innovation. They are now increasing I was listening to Jamie Dimon talking to David Axelrod on that podcast. He's like, it's just time. <laughs> and so big companies are going to want to buy impact. And if you can do all three, and a lot of a lot of you can if you're just intentional about it, it will enhance your value. Yeah. So this is not a distraction. This is not a sideline. This is a value-enhancing strategy that is both the right thing to do and it's good business. And you know, we're forming Ariba because we want to be intentional about how we help our portfolio. And so we've got a lot of experience helping people grow their businesses. I think as, you know, impact is still um, somewhat loosely defined. And I think some people fear it because they think it's constraining. It's actually liberating. Hmm. It sharpens your message. It's flexible. But it is a framework to help you explain what you do in ways that other people can understand it. And so one of the ways we add value to our portfolio is also helping them actively with their impact story 
what metrics they choose to measure, how they report on them, and how they deliver yeah. on them. And we just think that it is a value-enhancing strategy sure. that will be increasingly important. So you both have mentioned it already. Uh, I, I think whenever something new starts, that there you go through the whole, okay, it's like, it's like having a child, you know, choosing the name. <laughs> You know, because it, it has specific meaning and, and it's a part of the story and what you're pursuing. So maybe both of you talk to me about like Ariba. What, what is it and, and how, how does that name important to the strategy as you kind of look to the future? Yeah. So, I mean, Ariba is, is, is now this new, uh, it's, a, it's a new firm kind of, right? Charlie and I are emerging from, um, you know, our... Um, context to form kind of a dedicated growth equity um, firm focused on impactful growth investments. And, you know, Iriba, the name, is, is a Rwandan word. It, 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 it's Iriba, which are like natural um, uh, freshwater wells up in, in the mountains. Rwanda is called the land of a thousand hills. It's really mountainous country. Um, and, you know, one of the things that you find up in, in the mountains are these uh, kind of really, you know, hidden but in, in incredibly valuable uh, just freshwater wells. And, mm. and, and they, they've got, you know, uh, they're just they're important, and it, it, it's a kind of a, one of those um, distinctive cultural terms. Uh, and you know, the, the, you can almost think of it as an oasis, mm. and you know, and and it, it relates to really some of the the core strategies at the heart of of the new firm. Yeah, and so as we were thinking about names, and Moses suggested it, I think it, and I learned more about it. I think what it 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 I really gravitated gravitated to it because. Um, in terms of what we do, you know, impact, growing businesses is hard. Impact is hard, it's challenging. And particularly in the sectors that we're in, which is healthcare and education, because you need to understand digital infrastructure and access. Um, and as I think about Rwanda, so the geology, so if you're an expert in finding those really rare, valuable wells, you have to understand the geology. Hmm you know, the ground. You also need to understand the weather and the rain and the water runoffs for how water is going to form in these wells. And that's, I think, about how you find value in healthcare and education is you have to understand accessibility and internet infrastructure and digital infrastructure because access is still a key problem to how overlooked populations in our country access important services and so you have to understand access and that gets you to issues of the digital divide uh you know can you afford a video unlimited bandwidth connection and, and things like that so you have to if you're going to create value both business value and impact you have to understand that and then you got to understand the water runoff and the weather and for me in healthcare and education that's these are regulated um third-party payer industries where the services are provided by a range of for-profit and not-for-profit institutions but the government or somebody else pays on behalf of everybody um, and particularly for overlooked populations because they couldn't afford to um, otherwise and so it's how you navigate that geology and that terrain that gets you to the value and particularly in healthcare and education, if you're not careful, um, when I talked about extraction, you create, you're not growing impact, you're growing extraction. And 
then there are there are landslides in that where you can grow your business but it makes people worse off yeah and and so i think that's part of that's part of the dynamic of you gotta you gotta you gotta navigate your way through that terrain to find value but we have a history of doing it and we're and i think it's again it's just time to be intentional about it and it's great because i think uh it's been fun you know, I mentioned it that Moses and I work together, but Moses is on our investment team and has been for four years at Access Ventures. And so it's it's neat to kind of see the maturation of a, of a professional journey to kind of continue to align both the, the skill of investment and the ability to find and help grow companies, uh, but then also uh, the, the intentionality of impact. So you mentioned the challenges of impact. I'm curious, as you've been building this strategy, I think it's helpful for people just to be honest about what are those challenges. And so as you think about your portfolio companies or even the strategy itself, Ariba and the new firm, what are what do you foresee some of those challenges being related to kind of this impact orientation? Again, to, right, like you said, being intentional about it. Um, that's important, <clears throat> but it's also difficult. And so as you where you sit now, what are some of those challenges that you are pressing into to, to seek to figure out and, and, and solve for as you, as you build this new firm? Yeah, and so I, I said challenges, but I actually think one of the, as we started talking about this, one of the things I learned from Moses was uh, it was a lot easier than I thought. Mm. And that there are, again, it's flexible. There are frameworks for how you think about impact. And it's more a matter of intentionality and focus because of particularly if you're innovating in healthcare and education, it is likely that you're creating positive impact. Not always. You need to be in, intentional about it. Um, but I think that it's uh, it's easier um, than a lot of people think. You just have to make, again, you just have to make sure that uh, the business uh, that you're doing provides value to everybody in an interaction. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, if it, if it makes sense to talk in more, more depth about that, um, you know, in the like a lot of the status quo businesses in those industries are what I call the, air, they're the airplane model and that there's a fixed number of seats and the last seat is a very profitable seat to fill. And there's a lot of pressure to fill it. And in education, that means you fill it with someone that's honestly not prepared to go to college or for the training. And you're going to give them debt to pay for it. And if they don't succeed, they didn't get the education. So they flunk out after their freshman year, like a lot of people do. They didn't get the education and they leave in debt. And not only do they leave in debt, they leave with a particular brand of debt that you can't bankrupt your way out of. There's mm-hmm. really no way to get out of it except to pay it back, but they don't have a job that's going to be allowed them to pay that debt back. So it, it is a lifelong burden. And honestly, uh, for a fairly large number of students, uh, their peers who never went to college are better off than they do. Mm. And I think we see the same thing in healthcare. And healthcare is super complex. Um, but there are a lot of uh, particular interactions like surgery that they are the most expensive course of action. And in some cases, they're bad for you. And that the surgery doesn't work or it, you know, back surgery creates scar-, scar tissue. And so people are actually worse off. Their health has not, it's not, it, it, is, it is worse. The back surgery didn't work. It made their back problems worse. And they went into debt paying for it. And it's just, it's just time to stop doing it and information and we don't create magic information just like information technology does anywhere yeah. it allows you to be more careful about how you segment and drive your business because you know more yeah. and so it's just targeting the value that you want to provide to the customer segments that you want to be provide it and i think for us the the maybe the challenge is being intentional that you're you are going to 
bring that value to overlook populations because not every population in our country interacts with the healthcare and education system equitably. And so, you know, how you interact with those systems depends on geography, where you live. It depends on your income level and depends on your ethnic background. Mm. And as, as an impact player, you have to be conscious of including everybody in the journey that you're on. And that's the intentional part of it. That's great. Yeah. And, you know, and I would say, right, I mean, I think it's it's easy going back to kind of the front end of, of your response. It's easy if you're focused on growth and innovation to see and to execute an impactful strategy in these sectors. And I might even go as far as arguing that if you were, you know, at a growth or a venture fund in these sectors, you ought to really consider and, and uh, being sharp around uh, and, and holding yourself to, um, to impact outcomes just because of the sectors that you play in. But it's, it's also really hard. You know, it's, it's hard. I mean, first of all, it's hard for us um, in, in, in navigating kind of how you, you know, talk about and, and organize a fund. So there, there are some challenges on, on messaging. There are challenges on, um, you know, on structure. But it's also like the, there's, there's significant gravity in these sectors um, away from growth, innovation, and impact, and, 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 and gravity, you know, toward the airline model that you just described. Just because it is, one, it's how most of the status quo has operated in, in the sectors. And then two, I mean, it's, it is much more straightforward to make money kind of levering and rolling up the status quo and, and, and kind of growing uh, the airline model that, that leads to, you know, to, to bad outcomes in, in these sectors. Um, and, you know, so, the, you know, the, 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 for the folks who are focused on, on innovation and on growth in the sectors, you, you start to see the picture. I mean, and there are, and then, but I will also say, I mean, you know that it's hard even for, for those folks. There are a lot of people who over the last couple of decades have talked about, you know, revolutionaries in healthcare with technology and, and having great positive impacts. And you just, because you are not familiar with the geology of that industry, you just, you end up getting ground up by the machine. And that's something I know, I mean, Charlie can, can speak to really well and right can on, yeah. on the healthcare side. But I think also, it's one of the other thing I've learned from Moses in this process and journey is that. Um, another reason I think that growth and impact is going to outperform growth, particularly in these sectors, is because aligned business models, and those are models where your stakeholders and your shareholders are aligned, are more sustainable, and they create more value over the long term. So as you're, you know, as you're an investor and, you know, are interested in long-term growth, businesses that, that deliver both on growth and impact intentionally are going to be better long-term investments. And, and we think because they are going to offer more value, but we also think, you know, from sort of a private equity perspective, um, they're going to avoid two corrections and that, and two corrections that we know are coming. We talk about, there's the interest rate correction and we talk about the impact correction. I think that, you know, to what Moses just talked about, you know, what we see a lot of in, you know, a lot in, in some, not all, but in some private equity growth plays in the sector that are acquisition fueled and, you know, and they use debt, they are consolidating extraction. Okay. It's not intentional, but that is exactly what they're doing. Um, and that, that is going to come to an end. And we've already, you know, most of us have lived through that in 2000. We all understand what, uh, what an interest rate correction looks like. Um, and I think the other correction is the impact correction. 
And that's where some combination of consumers and regulators just aren't buying it anymore. And I think the University of Phoenix, you know, went through that. So the University of Phoenix had a value of $5 billion in 2011. By 2016, it was a billion. And that was driven entirely by consumer sentiment and regulation. And so they lost 80% of their value. Wow. And I think that they're, you know, again, I think emerging from 2020, there is going to be more attention paid to businesses that are extractive, that may be high performing financially, but but that do not create win-wins for everybody. And so I think as an investor in those, you run real risks that yeah. the, the carpet's going to get pulled out from under you. And of course, I can't, I can't say when, but I can tell you that investing in businesses that are intentional about combining growth and impact are going to sail right through. Yeah. And some of our actually, Crystal's biggest successes have been uh, selling businesses in the heart of, in, in, you know, in the heart of financial corrections. Uh, one of our biggest returns ever was a company we sold in the in the fall of 2008 after Lehman Brothers had collapsed. Wow! But it was it was a it was a healthcare information technology company that had good long term value, and you know large large corporations saw that and they were positioned to uh, to buy it. So and I think what's interesting is. Um you know, back to the Jamie Dimon quote that you brought up, like it's just, it's just it's time. time. Yeah. And you see it in the news cycle, even like this week, we're kind of doing this podcast interview, you know, during Earth Day week and just all of this movement around climate action and just how the private sector used to kind of somewhat be opposed to, it, but now is like setting their own aggressive uh, climate action agendas. And it's just time. And I think there's, it's interesting for me, and I, I get excited about what you're building at Ariba because I think, you know, right, you've been in the industry for a long time, worked at a traditional uh, institutional VC firm um, that I think was doing some interesting and different things uh, because of the, the who David is and kind of his kind of blended kind of personal life and how he has always done those things. So you've had the fortune of, of being there. But I have to believe too, like what I'm excited about is, you know, a lot of the groundwork that some of our listeners have been a part of in building and shaping the field, so to speak. Um, impact, I think, on the surface resonates with most people on a human level. It's like, yeah, I'd love to do that. But then when you get down to the measurement and the kind of the the practical side of what does that mean and how do I evaluate the efficacy of this or that, that's taken time to build. Now, I don't know if we're fully there. I've talked with, you know, folks on this podcast, even just about that, but it's mature enough with like the impact management project or Iris or the SDGs or gears to at least give investors and firms enough handles to say, here's what we're thinking about. Here's how we're intentionally constructing the strategy. Here's what we're pursuing. Yes. Trying to wait the expectation on the entrepreneurs, the CEOs, uh, you know, not overburdening them with additional, uh, tracking, but recognizing we need to do it and but, they're going to build better more profitable companies doing that. But I think, you know, as I, as I've gotten into Iris and yeah. the UNSGG goals, uh, for me, those are, uh, EBITDA and software as a service recurring revenue. And, you know, I believe it or not, those used not to exist. Um, but it is, it is a, it's a framework that allows you to easily explain your business to others. And, uh, the Iris and UNSGG, uh, uh, framework it is an easy to use, flexible framework that allows you to explain your impact to others uh, in in easy ways. And and how we you know we will measure impact in our businesses comes down to 
accessibility, affordability, and value. Hmm. And all of our businesses will have, will deliver on at least two and likely three of those. And so, you know, so we have our financial return goals and we have our impact goals. Yeah. And we, and they're, they're pretty simple and they're pretty aligned. And we, you know, we were fortunate enough to invest uh, in a company called Straighter Line. I think Straighter Line is a good story that illuminates what we're excited about uh, continuing to do. And so Straight Alliance, a company that um, we sold in April of 2020. So in April of 2020, <laughs> we sold the company uh, for a very good return for our LPs. It was it was a good time to be able to send a check back to folks. Uh, but Straight Alliance was a great story. And it was actually uh, co-founded by one of our former Chrysalis colleagues, David Parento, who had met a, uh, a well-known education entrepreneur and innovator named Burke Smith. And and Burke and David's vision was that uh, your freshman year of college should cost $1,000. And it can be delivered online in a proven fashion. And it provides a straighter line, particularly for lower income disadvantaged students. It provides a straighter line to a degree. Hmm. And uh, they were very successful in figuring out um, how to grow that business. Um, but one of the key milestones that business achieved was it, and this is when we talk about, I'm going to, I'm going to throw a accessibility, affordability and value was when we proved the value. And so we were partnering, um, with a well-known, uh, not-for-profit online university and they had a, a an ACT cutoff of 21. So you could not get in if you did not have a, a that score that on the ACT. And, um, we were able to we were able to work so that the students that didn't make that cutoff, you know, we knew how to contact them. And um, what we what we learned and what we proved was uh, that those students that took to completed successfully two or three straight airline courses uh, and then went back actually had a higher graduation rate than the cohort that had scored 21 on their ACT and had gotten in in the first place. Wow. And, you know, in higher ed now producing attracting students who are going to graduate and get a job and pay off their debt is very important and so um once we'd proven that that really helped to accelerate our business but for straighter line um you know accessibility so it was online education um which was available 24 7 with an internet connection and i think you know for people that aren't that familiar with education accessibility is important because a lot of people are working students and their ability to get to a fixed location on a schedule is not easy and so the physical experience is not as accessible to yeah. them as maybe other people other people realize so straighter line was you know very accessible yeah was it affordable so straighter line cost about a thousand dollars compared to the average college which is going to cost somewhere between ten and thirty thousand dollars or more. And so it was clearly, you know, the metrics of how we think about affordability were clear. And for then, the same product, by the way, right? Yeah. It's like, it's your introductory courses that are generally delivered in large lecture halls now delivered online. Yeah. And so that was sort of the inside of this. That's awesome. Is, is English 101 as a commodity. Yeah. And I don't get I'm going to, Moses is going to pull me too much into a, into an educational debate and I, <laughs> I don't want to go there on this. Um, <laughs> but I think on, a, on, then on value. So once sure. we prove that if you took two, two straight line courses, you were highly likely to graduate. 
that's value. And so this is a business that produced financial returns. It produced a, a, an important service that was affordable, accessible, and offered value to everybody. So that that's was, it's a home run on all, on and all, that's a, all, that's all a great example. Um, I think, um, and what I'm excited about, because like, I think what I'm excited, I'm excited to follow your journey. Um, it's been, a, it's been fun to be a part of it, uh, both working with Moses directly and, and also helping kind of think through the nuance of, of the strategy and right knowing you for several years now, but I'm, ex- I'm excited to kind of follow along because I think one of the things that I'm really excited about is, um, is seeing something like this fully mature, fully mature in Louisville, Kentucky, uh, you know, obviously focused on North America, but I think very important verticals that many people in our communities across the nation are struggling with workforce, training, uh, education, healthcare, uh, trying to solve some of those critical systemic problems, uh, doing so through intentional uh, metrics and impact. And I think also the other thing that's exciting is this, the, this, the where you are, the stage of company. You know, Some of these companies that you're going to be working with maybe weren't impact-oriented to begin with, although like a straighter line. So then in working with them, as you go through the diligence process, address like I, assessing their financial efficacies for the fund, but also helping them craft and shape uh, some exciting ways that they can be more intentional about impact and return value both to the shareholders and the, and the stakeholders in the community. That's an exciting thing because in the impact space, we're always looking at gaps and how do we continue to build the infrastructure of this field. And you're bringing a solution, a strategy in growth equity that there aren't a lot of uh, funds or strategies in. Yeah. No, and, and I'll just say, Bryce, because you're not going to give me a chance to say it, you won't ask me the leading question. Um, you know, I, I think, you know, no, <laughs> no it's, it's just that you, you know, you're excited to track the story or part of the story, but you're a critical part of it. You and TJ are, at least both for me and, you know, in my personal arc and journey and story and the opportunities that I've had here to really to start to lead deals and to, 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 to be at a position where I can, um, you know, be part of a fund like this, but also in in how we've thought about and, and pulled together the the story. And it's not just story kind of for the purposes of marketing, but story for the purpose of how we organize what we do and how we think about what we do. You know, I think I remember the earliest conversations I had with Right and Charlie around impact, it was still like, hey, do we, you know, do we want to be in this universe? Like, are we going to hamstring our managers and, you know, and kind of distract them from building their business and building value? And 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 you, you guys have really been, and you know, through my experience here, and then even directly through the meetings that we've had, and just kind of opening, you know, our eyes to the various ways you can structure and talk about. Um, uh, impact and 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 execute and, and really be sharp around executing, um, you know, sort of a business model that's that's delivering these great outcomes and track it and measure it because that's important too. Sure. Um, but but in a way that and I, and I think that's a message that I wish more more folks in especially in our sectors, but but who generally may have had the similar ethos that that we had at Chrysalis can can get to hear. And yeah. and it's it's a freeing kind of um it's an eye opening kind of uh kind of uh message. Well it wasn't gonna be my question but I appreciate it. I mean too kind, but it actually is a great kind of note to go out on insofar as I hope in season three as we've talked about conscious construction, that people are hearing that one, it's a journey. Uh two, I think it's important that we actually get very specific about what we are 
really defining that uh, and and almost in some ways rejecting the notion that like all of them look the same. I think we've got to look at like how do we look at what you're working on at Ariba and compare it against what Ariba set out to do and other types of strategies in that similar asset class or uh, type of capital or sector or industry because I think it's a spectrum, right? As long as it's intentional, as long as it's transparent, as long as it's measurable, we, we've got to be comfortable with this spectrum of understanding. Uh, and it's important that some strategies, the impact thesis is baked into the definition of that fund and the strategy itself, and it helps make decisions on what types of companies. And in other areas, it's it's maybe not as uh, rooted in that core problem statement, but it's it's addressing industries where we know there are systemic problems and coming at that with principles of impact and helping these founders build in uh, metrics to measure. Uh, and I think that's an important piece, which is making people comfortable with the fact that uh, impact is important and it needs to be measured and defined. But what we first have to do is like, what are we trying to do? How are we going to do that? And it's been fun to kind of work with the both of you because it Ever since I've known Wright, even at 10 years ago, I think when we first met at, uh, at a breakfast, um, it was always a part of your vernacular and you know the reason you personally pursued these types of companies. And so it's neat to see kind of now a strategy come together where it can be really more matured into what's intentionally measured uh, as, you, as you pursue impact. So it's exciting. Yep. And, I, and again, I just think being in the sectors we're in, being intentional about impact, it is a value enhancer. And we will, we will increasingly see that. To learn more about this exciting new growth equity opportunity, check out eribapartners.com. Well, folks, that's a wrap on season three. We hope you've enjoyed listening in as we work to unpack how a consciously constructed and dynamic strategy works. For us, we live in this work every day. And our goal with this season was to give our listeners a vision for how it's possible to align who you are as a person with where your money is invested. Pursuing impact doesn't have to be concessionary. And pursuing impact is not just a venture conversation either. Over the past several months, I've had the pleasure to connect with some amazing fund managers doing some amazing things. I hope you'll take the time to give each episode a listen and see if there's a way for you to personally begin this journey, or if you're already on it, to pursue even greater alignment. Stay tuned for season four, which is set to come out in early fall and focused on yet another exciting theme. To find out more and to stay up to date, subscribe to our podcast, drop us a review, And as always, I'm Bryce Butler with Access Ventures. Check out our work at accessventures.org. Thanks for listening.